This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the library. My name is Troy Swanson. I'm one of the librarians. Today's event is part of our One Book, One College series. This year we're studying Roxana Sabari's book, Between Two Worlds. And part of her book is her exploration of her own um, racial identity. And that identity, uh, her father is Iranian and her mother is Japanese. And so we uh, wanted to take that, that theme of multiracial, the meaning of identity, the meaning of race, and take it a step further. So that's what today's event is about. We are very happy to welcome Dr. Amy Williamson, who is um, Associate Professor of Psychology and the Department Chair of the Psychology Department. Amy holds the EDD from Northern Illinois University, a master's from Loris College, and also a bachelor's from Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa. She's going to pull from her own research uh, that she did for her dissertation and weave together some of the general views um, in the field of psychology. So I'm really excited uh, to listen where she takes us. So with that, I'll turn it over to Amy. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Welcome. Um, I guess before I even start, I'd like to ask a question. How many of you are familiar with multiracial identity or know what it is? I'd just like to get a sense. If you, if you are, if you know a lot about it, you can give me a thumbs up. If you know something, thumbs sideways. And if you know nothing, a thumbs down. So where, where is everybody at? Okay. All right. We're all over the place. Okay. That's fine. Okay. So, um, Please feel free to ask questions or, um, you know, chime in as I'm talking. I'd like this to be a dialogue, so feel free to, to ask questions at any point. Okay. All right, so um, multiracial identity is kind of a new concept. It's something that really emerged probably about 20 years ago. Um, prior to that, we really didn't have this idea. Um, and so you might be looking at me saying, well, what the heck do you know about multiracial identity? You look like a white person, and what do you know about it? Um, so my background is multicultural. Um, I also have um, biracial sons, and so that's really what got me started doing the research. When they were um, little, this is like 20 years ago, I was looking around saying, well, okay, what's, what's out there, what's available? and really wasn't able to find anything. And so, hence my start delving into this. So, I guess the question is, why should you care about this topic? What's important about it? First of all, does anybody here consider themselves multiracial or biracial? Anybody? Okay, a few people. Can you tell me about it? Would you, Jason? Okay. Okay. Okay, so your your dad's Mexican, your mom's Irish. Okay, what? Okay. 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 So you and you probably identify with several of those or or a couple of those ethnic backgrounds. That's typically what we see now, and people are more likely to want to embrace all of who they are. And so that's where this multiracial stuff came from. Um, so the question is, why should you care? All right, I'm going to show you a brief video clip. It's just like seven minutes, but just to give you some insight into 
what people are talking about in this um, area. So let me see if I can get my clip up. Am I who you thought? My goal is to capture the fastest growing demographic, which is multiracial citizens in my generation. I want to expose the story of race as a visual aspect. Society sees one thing, but you may feel the complete opposite depending on how you were raised. Just a picture of my uh, grandma's family. As you see, they're all pretty much black, except for my grandma, who's like half. Like, if I, like, take, like, a, something from my friend with. The other day when I was at UCLA, this lady came up to me and she was trying to sell me something. But before she even attempted to, she was asking me if I was going back to China. I am half white, half Mexican. It's probably the easiest way to say it without really explaining. And um, we go, oh, okay. But it's never really been, um, been like a barrier or, or something that people are really surprised by. Just like, you talk white. That's what they say. <laughs> My husband is white Mexican, and our kids are black, white, Mexican, and Filipino, so that didn't really relate to, um, you know, my black friends. They kind of distanced themselves from me because I was different. For whatever reason, my white friends think I'm ghetto. I don't understand. When I was little and people used to pull their eyes and call me, you know, Japanese and Chinese and stuff, that hurt a lot, and I would go home crying sometimes because I didn't understand why it mattered. Do we realize what we say? If there are people in the world who can say these things to people's faces, imagine what they're thinking. As we mature and grow older, we begin to question our ethnicity. Who are we? How did we get here? Who are we related to? Why? When did you first realize your ethnicity? In first grade, I stood up and I said, I'm African American. And the teachers were like, Little girl, you're really confused. And my mom later that day said, you know, don't you think maybe that's a little surprising? Maybe you should explain it. And I was quoted for saying, they can deal with it. So <laughs> I think I guess that's when I realized, you know, who I am. The actual time it really hit me was in middle school when um, I started to do really, really well in school. And people would be like, oh, that's because you're Asian. I kind of thought, wow, so much hard work means nothing. It just means, because I'm Asian, I'm automatically smart. And if I get, like, a C on something, I'm a failure as an Asian, so. When my mom was black and I was white, and I pretty much just asked, like, why am I a different color? Third grade, when I started, like, realizing that not all kids ate tofu and <laughs> rice bowls. I don't think my parents ever like hid it from me or anything like that. I really don't even think of them as different races. In elementary school, there was this big like multicultural festival or assembly or something, and one of the people called me up and he said, "What's your heritage?" And I said, "I'm Japanese, Chinese, and Finnish." And he said, "Whoa!" And I was like, "What?" 
Because it was all I knew. So I think in high school it definitely becomes um, upfront that you need to basically kind of find yourself and either pick a side or, you know, find where you need to be. The year 2000 was the first year citizens were able to check more than one box for the census. That year, there were 7 million Americans who considered themselves multiracial. It is expected to increase by 33% for the 2010 census. More recently, I think I've seen one multiracial uh, checkmark, but usually I just check other. Like, if I have to check a box, I always check other because I'm not, unless they allow me to check all of them. And honestly, I mark however I'm feeling that day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, lately I've been marking part Asian American, usually white. I usually mark white, and then if it has second ethnicity, like be more specific, I'll put Asian, and if it has another one, I'll put Japanese. I had to look at white, and I thought, okay, maybe. And I look at Hispanic, and I'm like, I'm not giving it justice. And I look down, and it says white, not of Hispanic origin. And it just makes me go, what am I supposed to do? They separate them completely. If I had a multiracial box, and you just explain what are you, I think it can give them just as much information. I've never seen a multiracial one, but I usually mark other or Caucasian. Well, it's kind of like when you're in kindergarten, you have like the 64 pack of the awesome crayons. You know, there's always one, one awkward turquoisey color, and you don't know whether you put it with the blues or the greens. And I've always considered multiracial being that awkward turquoise color. You're not quite Asian, you're not quite American. I like being awkward turquoise. <laughs> I'm white chocolate, because you know I'm like white on the outside, but chocolate on the inside. This is who I am, I have a little bit of everything. Our generation, it does Alright, so you kind of get some of the voices and hear what, how people are talking about it. Um, is there anything that stood out for you in that clip? Well, how do the people identify themselves? How do they choose to identify themselves? A lot of them said other. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the thing that um, when, in my research, what I found is that that was really an awkward thing to have to do because it's like there's not even a way for me to identify myself because nothing on these checklists really represents who I am. And if you have to be in the other category, that's kind of like this lump category that nobody cares about, that nobody really gets. And so people have moved to push for getting some kind of a multiracial box or at least checking two. I don't know. I'm not sure if Moraine does that, but I, I think we do. I think we allow for two to check more than one box when you're identifying yourself demographically. <laughs> All right, so this is the fastest growing demographic group. Um, the prediction is that multiracial people will be uh, near the majority by 2050. So we're talking about a group that's rapidly growing. Now, unfortunately, what happened in the past is that a lot of the research was with a pathological focus, saying that something is wrong with the people who are multiracial. Um, they don't fit in, they don't know where they belong, they don't know what, they're, you know, what to do, they're, they're confused and all those kinds of things. And that research was done all the way up into the late 90s. Um, in 2000, Time Magazine did, I got it, sorry, I got to move. In 2000, Time Magazine did this special issue. And actually, this is a composite of people of all different races that they put together to show what is the new face of America going to look like. And it's just going to kind of look like a blending of all of these different racial groups. 
All right, a little bit to give you some context for this. So historically what was going on was there was something called the one drop rule. And that was that anybody who has any part African American is automatically considered black. And in the past, the census would, would actually have, you'd be able to pick um, quadroon, octroon. So if you were like one-eighth African American, you would pick that. If you were a quarter, you would ha pick that. So there was a way to choose that. Um, in 1989, there was some shift that took place where people were now talking about, um, well, we don't want this. We want to be able to identify how, who we are, how we are, and not be lumped into this category. Um, but 2000 was actually the first year that you were able to choose a multiracial designation. So this is really the beginning of when we were able to find out how many multiracial people there are, because prior to that, in the schools, what they would actually do is if the teacher didn't know what racial group the, the child belonged to, the teacher was told to assign them. Okay? And so typically what that meant was that the teacher would assign the child to the group of the minority parent, and that was common practice. So part of the other issue that comes up here historically is that um, white, the categorization of white has been an exclusive category, meaning it's difficult to move into that. Um, and so people have unfortunately had to make a choice between sometimes their parents, which parent are they going to identify with. And so what we saw was people who were getting, um, like with Barack Obama, for instance, he talks about, the, he says he's the first African-American president and he identifies himself as African-American. Obviously, we know that he's biracial. His mother was white. His father was African. But back in that time frame, that wasn't an option. Back in that time frame, people had to designate themselves with the minority parent. That was common, common practice. All right, this is just kind of a, an interesting map. Um, basically, it looks at over the United States, um, to, again, the 2000 census was the first time that people were able to make this choice. What did people say? And if we look, this whole belt down here, um, people indicating that they're, that they're one or more races, including African American, we have some pockets of 50% or more. So there was definitely a huge transition for people now that they were finally able to identify themselves this way. Um, it's kind of spotty throughout, but if you look in Chicago, you see that up here we also have uh, a decent percentage, about 20% or so or more, people who are identifying that way. Does anybody know anybody who's multiracial, biracial? Okay, a few. Okay. Okay, so some people do. Um, if you don't, chances are you probably will know somebody at some point in your life because, again, it's a growing, it's a growing group. Although relatively small in terms of the biracial that I'm talking about, biracial African-American and in another racial group. Um, we also have other um, groups that are, I, we call multiracial as well. So people like Mexican-Americans, um, Arab-Americans, those groups tend to have... Um, more of an issue, not so much with race, but more of an issue with culture. 
and how are they going to transmit culture when they marry outside of the group. So that's a little bit different than what we see with the uh, biracial African-American mix. Any questions so far, comments? Okay. Okay, so let's kind of look at moving up to today. We've got one in 12 marriages are interracial. Okay, one in 12. So this is something that's really becoming much more commonplace, which means anything between um, any different races. Now, the other thing I want to say is that race is a social construction, right? So what that means is race actually doesn't exist. <laughs> we have decided to kind of make categories based on um, what we think people look like or what their cultural background is. But biologically, there is no underpinning for race. It's just something that we've created in our culture to, to group people up. Um, these two pictures here are siblings, um, biracial siblings. And so what you see is that there's quite a bit of diversity even in sibling groups among multiracial people. For instance, in this, these brothers, this one, um, when he goes out into society, he's considered Caucasian, where his brother is considered African-American. So there's a huge, you know, spread of experiences that we see among people. So I don't want to make this about, you know, one way that it is. It's, it's a lot of different things that create this multiracial experience for people. Um, the most likely group to have uh, interracial marriage is Hispanic, the Hispanic groups. There's 25% uh, out-group marriage for Latinos. So that's the highest group. That's the group we see the most um, interracial marriage. Although, again, Hispanic and Latino is not a race. It's an ethnic group, but the United States has decided to put that in a separate category. Part of it's for political reasons, so that's what we get. Okay, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about the identity influences. Um, how many of you are familiar with Erickson's model of identity development? Okay, good. All right, a lot of you guys are. Okay, so what does Erickson say is going on in adolescence? What's happening there? What's, what's the important thing that people need to do? What? Yeah, self-identity, right? They have to establish their identity. What is, how are they going to become who they are? The question is, who am I, right? How do I make sense of this? Well, what we know now is that race and ethnicity are central to that. Um, this is actually a separate kind of uh, process that people go through when they're developing their identity. Gender is kind of an overlay on that, and then sexual orientation on top of that. And then we've got these other influences, which are the physical appearance, the cultural knowledge, and your peer culture. Those three also kind of come in and, and interact with those things. Um, so what we know then is that race and ethnicity for people in adolescence is really central to who they are, particularly for minorities. What's interesting is with white identity development, it's a little bit different. Gender is more important than race. Okay, so for people who are in, in any minority group, race and ethnicity is the more important factor there, and then gender overlays that 
So we're talking about physical appearance, one of the identity influences. What we're talking about is what do people look like when they go out into the world? Okay, so if I go out wherever I'm going to the store or do whatever I'm doing, people make an assumption that I'm white and they treat me in that way. Um, people who look African-American, Latino, Asian, whatever it is, Middle Eastern, are going to be treated per perhaps another way when they're out in the world. Their experiences might be different. So when we're talking about how these things interact, we're talking about you know, what happens when they go out into the world and other people see them and how do other people identify them. Um, my two oldest sons went to Moraine and my oldest one, um, people would always say, what are you? And um, typically that identify him as Middle Eastern. And part of the reason is because we have a large Middle Eastern population on the campus and so that's where well, he must fit in there. And so people tend to make a lot of assumptions about multiracial people. And that is one of the things that hopefully um, you guys will be more aware of and more likely to avoid doing. The other piece is cultural knowledge. And this is really important for multiracial people because what, and this is kind of something I found in my research as well, cultural knowledge is what allows you to come in to the community. So if you're Hispanic or Latino, for instance, What's important culturally that allows you to be in with that group? What do you know? What would be important to be accepted and to be invited into that particular cultural group? Any? Yeah, language is really important. Do you speak Spanish? Okay, otherwise, you know, you're not really Latino. Okay, or um, what else might be important? Okay, yeah, religion, right? Are you Catholic? Do you, you know, do, do you fit into what we normally ascribe to that particular group? So cultural knowledge is really an important piece. And what I found in my research, um, I, I did about a nine-month process of interviewing biracial males of college age. And one of the things I found was all of them with the exception of one, were raised with their mother. And their mother was Caucasian. And so what happened was they had some of them, several of them, had very little contact with the African-American community. And so when they would be around African-American people, what they would hear is, you know, you're not really black, you're not one of us, you're not down, you know, these kinds of things. And part of that was because they weren't, involved in those kind of cultural norms that would establish you as being part of the group. So for males, that's important. For women, it's also important um, for girls at this age group. So what happens then is what, what they would say is, and, and some of you guys who said you were multiracial might be able to help me with this, what they talked about is that they felt that they were forced to choose. So in adolescence, it was like, are you going to be with us or are you going to be with them? You got to pick, and if you if you try to straddle both worlds, we're going to make it really hard for you. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to let you do that easily, and that became a source of conflict for these for these gentlemen. 
the last piece kind of blends with the cultural knowledge, which is the peer culture, which says, what does your peer culture say about how you should behave or what do we allow? So, I don't know, you know, in the high school that you went to, was there groups of like the Asians sat at one table and the African Americans sat at one table and the, did you guys have that set up? Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of, so what happens when you're two or three of those things, what happens when you walk into the cafeteria? You're forced to choose. Who, who, who am I going to sit with? I sit with them, then they're going to think I'm not, you know, I'm not, well, you know, they're saying I'm not a brother or I'm not this or I'm not that or whatever it is, and I wouldn't be able to fit into that group. So um, it was a source of angst. And Erickson talks about this and says, well, you have to resolve identity. And I know Erickson is a long-standing theorist, and he's in all of our psych books, but um, I think Erickson was wrong about this. Okay, Erickson really, you know, was focused on white identity development when he was talking about this. And when we look at people who are multiracial, what we see is identity development, identity isn't resolved in adolescence. It's an ongoing process that continues to recycle up through different stages developmentally. Okay, so these are some quotes uh, from the people in my, who were participants in my research, and I thought it was really important to bring their words up because, um, first of all, they sacrificed their time to do, to do the research, but also because they can speak to this much better than I can. And so when they have to make the choices, here's one of the things that they would say. This one particular man said, sometimes I would agree with people who insinuated I was Puerto Rican. I would just go along with it, okay. although he was biracial. And so somebody else might say, well, that's crazy. That's, that's not normal. Something's wrong with this person. And what I'm saying is actually that is normal. This is actually part of what happens so that people can adapt to their environment. Um, the second one, sometimes when my Mexican friends have a party, I just go there and they think I'm Mexican. And I go with it. Okay. Or if people assume I'm Arab or Puerto Rican, I might go with it. People rarely know I'm biracial right away. I really don't have a choice in how I'm labeled. I guess I am whatever society says I am. And so what, what these people were saying was, you know, I'm just trying to, do this the best I can. I'm just trying to, to really fit in here and make sense of who I am in this society who wants me to be one or the other. Okay, this, this model of choices came from Wren, um, who's somebody who did research on this topic as well. And she said that there are five choices that multiracial people end up uh, kind of having to choose from. And so, again, this is a little bit different than Erickson's model. Erickson would actually say that there's some pathology associated with this. And what we're finding in the research is that actually, that's not the case, that this is healthy and normal part of development. So a monoracial identity means that you decide you're one thing. Okay, I'm African-American, I'm Asian, I'm, okay, whatever it is. Multiple racial identities is a new one and that's come out of the research in the last 15 years, basically saying sometimes I'm, I'm both. I might be Mexican when I'm here, I might be Caucasian when I'm over here, and I'm African-American when I'm 
you know, with my friends over here. Because, I, because what they're saying is I am all of those things. So why can't I be different in different, okay. Multiracial identity is when you go into any situation and you say I'm a multiracial person or I'm a biracial person. And that's kind of the core of who you are. You don't change identification. Extra racial identity is, a, is one that came up in the research too. And this is that I don't identify racially. I just tell people I'm a human. Yeah, I mean, that might work in some situations, but that's really hard because people, the number one question that we find in the research on multiracial identity that people get asked, any idea? Every single one of them has been asked this question. Yeah, what are you anyway? What are you? Like it's any of anybody else's business, really, but, but people feel the need. I need to know what you are because I don't know how to treat you until I find out, right? I don't know where to put you until I find out, are you like me? Are you different than me? And how do I make sense of that? So extra racial identity is you're not, you just don't have a race. And then situational identity is really what I found in the research that I did with these guys saying that um, I changed based on the situation. Um, one guy was talking about he was at the Puerto Rican Day Parade and he said, I just let everybody think I was Puerto Rican. I never told them, you know, what I was. And it worked out. And, that, that was, and a lot of them will talk about doing this, that this is a way that they adapt to their environment, which Again, we see it as something that's healthy. Yes. Multiple racial identity is when you say, um, I, I'm Af African American and I'm white and I c interact in those two. Situational identity would be, I'll be whatever you assume I am. So, right. Right. So. I might, people might think, oh, if I'm with a bunch of um, people who are Native American or something, and I just, they think, oh, you're Native American too? And I say, yeah, yeah. I'll go along with it to be, part of, to be part of the group and really not start anything. So that's what we, what we see. Although, again, the experience is diverse. So it's not something that, um, it's not something that, we necessarily say people have to choose, right? People don't have to choose between these to be okay. And that's the other thing about multiracial identity is it's fluid in that it changes as people develop over time. Um, the other big piece that uh, what came up was that when people choose a partner, so during high school is when you're dating and you have to decide who you're going to date. And that's a big, a big deal for people who are multi-ethnic because what they, what they talked about was that it's like making a commitment to a racial group. So if I'm dating somebody who's Latino, I've now declared myself as Mexican, and now I'm going to be down with that group. And whereas people who are monoracial don't have that deal going on, right? They don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Polish, and I was, like, raised in Poland when I came here. And, like, 
Because, mm -hmm. like, I'm white either way. But um, I even feel like there's, like, multiracial, like, different way treated. Like, um, like if you're, pol you're, pol you're European or are you American? And, like, not just, like, oh, like, African-American mm -hmm. and that. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if, if this is not so specific to this group. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, she said that she's from Poland, and she um, also experiences some of these things, being somebody who's in America. When she goes back to Poland, sometimes they say she's American. Okay, yeah, and she was saying, so some people come over to her house, and she's, they're speaking Polish, and, and it's different than what they would expect, maybe, if they see you. So somebody sees you, and they say, oh, you're a white person. You speak English, and you do these things at home. Right, we have a lot of assumptions that we make about people when we see them. Um, but that's a good point, because we also see that with people who are immigrants, that there's differences. If you, just, if you come over to this country from somewhere else, there's also this kind of, transitional period where okay do I how do I fit in am I American am I still part of the group that I came from? you know how, how do I make sense of that and there's also an integration that has to take place there it's a little bit different transition but it you're right I mean it does apply um, okay anything else okay all right so um, this is the the big again the big question I mentioned people you know, what are you? And what, what, what I found was that it's, it's really about questioning people's authenticity. Are you really black? I mean, you're dating somebody who's white, and you talk like you're white. You talk like a white boy, and you do these things. And so I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you that you're really, you know, one of us. And that was a really painful experience for these people. Um, and if you look at, here's some of the words, I have to justify myself mostly to the black kids, like if I'm wearing a certain brand of clothing. So if people are wearing clothing that um, is considered a white brand versus what the African Americans are wearing, that that would be something that would cause tension. Um, the other thing, appear in school, stated you don't deserve to be called a and, and date our women, and that was, again, a really painful experience because this, these individuals are part of both groups, and what, ha what, what happens is that people are continually questioning, are you really, are you authentically black? Are you authentically white? Are you authentically Mexican? Or do you just, you know, run around claiming this? Um, Sometimes I'll just say I'm black to avoid the issues that come with it, okay? Sometimes I'll just say it so I don't have to deal with, oh, you're not really this, you're not really that. Um, and finally, this one particular gentleman said, I strive for the nice guy thing because I hang out with a lot of white people and I want to be seen as less threatening to them. So 
these people are acutely aware of the stereotypes that are out there. And they have to shift and chameleon themselves as they go through their developmental stages to fit. So it's a very complicated process, but one that they seem to do quite well, which is part of the reason I wanted to, to research this was to really get a sense of what are the coping mechanisms, what are the strategies, how, how does this all work? Um, but the racial bias and the assumptions that were made uh, about them, typically, again, that they were African-American males, was uh, an extremely negative experience for the most part. Okay, so, and I won't go into a lot of details about that, but it definitely wasn't something that um, they were pleased with. Okay, so some of the gender differences, we, we wanted to pull gender in a little bit, too. Remember, gender was that next circle outside of the racial piece. This is what we found with gender differences. Biracial women um, found that there's a lot of assumptions about them being exotic, that they're somehow uh, more sexy or more appealing in some way because, that, because they're biracial. Um, where men, the biracial men actually said, you know, I'm something special. People, all the girls like me. All the sisters like the light-skinned guy, all the white girls like, the, like me, and all the Mexicans like you know, It's like they really had the sense that um, they had a lot of flexibility in their dating pool, that they were much um, more attractive to women of a lot of different groups. So it's very different between men and women in this particular uh, aspect. Women said more so that their partner choice was tied to choosing an identity. So if I, if I decide to date somebody who's African-American, I'm declaring myself to be an African-American. If I decide to date somebody who's white, Caucasian, or biracial, I'm, cha I'm actually changing who I am when I choose a partner, which is really different than somebody who's monoracial. I mean, I don't feel like when I date, you know, when I did date, I'm married, but if I was dating people, then I don't change who I am. My identity doesn't shift based on that. So that's a, a big difference here. Um, biracial men, on the other hand, said, I have a larger pool of dating partners. It doesn't affect my identity. Okay, so that's, again, a big difference between the men and the women. Um, the women, uh, unfortunately, express more dissatisfaction with their physical appearance. They were, a, a lot of times, were, um, had angst about certain black features. And again, this goes back to what we, you know, what we see in our society with racism and stereotypes and kind of the degradation of traditionally black kinds of features and things like that. Whereas the biracial men embraced their physical appearance. They, were, they thought it was awesome. I love my hair. I love my skin color. I get tan. You know, everybody wants my skin color because it's, it's tan. <laughs> All the white people want it. So it was, it's a really interesting dichotomy or difference between the men and the women here. Um, by the way, much more research has been done on biracial women than men. Very little research has been done on biracial men. So I don't know if this, these findings are going to go completely across the board, but there is some differences. The other thing that the men said, which I thought was really 
cool was that they feel like they're a bridge between cultures. So something like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if I have black friends and white friends and my black friends are talking about this and my white friends are talking about that, I feel like I can go in and I can see both sides of the issue and I can help to negotiate things. I can straddle both worlds and, be, and kind of understand what's going on in both sides. Um, a lot of times there was family things going on. Some family members might not be accepting, and so they felt like they could help people become more accepting of them. Uh, so they definitely took a lot of positive um, aspects of who they were to talk about. Again, I, again, I don't. This is a very small pool. It was a small study that I did, and the research prior to mine was limited as well with men. So I don't know that this will, would extrapolate, but it seemed to be pretty consistent across the the people that I talked to. Okay, so some conclusions. Um, number one, race is still very, very important. Okay, it's not something that. Um, has gone away. It's not something that uh, we, you know, we're past or in any any sense. Um, most of the people that I talked to talked about some really horrible experiences with racism that they went through as young boys and as teenagers. Um, and so we know that that's that's still a big issue, um, particularly if you are perceived as being minority. So if you go out into the world and people perceive you as being Caucasian, you have less of those kinds of experiences. But if you're going out in the world and people perceive you as being Middle Eastern, Hispanic, African American, you're much more likely to have experiences with racism than the other Caucasians would. Um, the other thing is biracial identity is legitimate. It is not a pathological identity. Uh, again, in the Ericksonian model, you would think, well, if you don't resolve that identity status and something's wrong with you, you can't move on to the next stage of development and blah, blah, blah. But we know now that there's actually changes in fluidity in the way people identify as they transition between adolescence and adulthood. Okay, there's some differences there. Um, one of the earliest stages with differences um, was around age three, four, where people, you know, the first thing they noticed was, wow, I look different. You know, my mom looks one way, my dad looks one way, how come I look this way? Okay, so that was really early on in the developmental stages, which we don't see in people who are monoracial because they look like their parents, so there isn't any of that. Um, the other thing that was interesting is that they created their own labels. So some of them, even though they would say biracial if there was a form, they would, um, like, one of them called himself beige, swirl. Um, okay, you can say that. I don't want to say that. I have, like, friends who call themselves Polaco Taco because they're half Mexican and half Polish. Okay, that's a great example of what. It's not as a joke. Like, they really tell people, like, oh, it's a lot of Okay. Right, so, but embra they're embracing it somehow. So, and that's, what, that's what's important is that they're taking it and embracing it and making it their own, whether they call themselves, you know, bad or 
swirl or beige or um, biracial, whatever it is, that they're owning their identity, and that's really what's important there. Um, okay, um, a couple things I want to mention up here. Identity can be fluid, meaning that it changes, and one of the things that we saw with, or I should say I saw, in terms of identity development is um, concessions that they had to make. So a lot of these gentlemen had to make concessions between um, family and friends in order to be accepted. And that was uh, a sad part of this, to hear that, um, that they said, you know, when I'm with my mom's family, i got to tone it down. i got to be kind of more quiet. I can't use the N-word. I've got to be more constricted in some fashion. Whereas when they're with the other side of their family, um, there was a little more freedom and leeway to be more expressive, to be more um, talk how they wanted to, use slang, those kinds of things. So they felt that they had to make these concessions to move smoothly between the two worlds, which was, again, different than we find with uh, monoracial people. Um, the other thing that they talked about was these, we call, I call them conundrums or issues that they face. What, what would it be like if I was just one? You know, they always entertain that. What would it be like if I was only African American? What would it be like if I was only white? Would people treat me differently? How would people see me? Um, one gentleman in particular, I remember specifically, who said, most of his friends are white. He was raised in a white environment with his mom. And the, the, his friends, um, he, he would forget what he looked like when he was with his white friends. And it would, like, it would slip his mind and they'd be out at a club or something like that. And then something would happen that would shake him back into the reality. Of, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, you're not, you're not like the rest of the people that you're with. And it was a very... Um, a very powerful story that he told about that, that, you know, it was like, you know, what would people think if they, if I could strip away this and they could see who I really am, you know, how I really am, and would they treat me differently? You know, and I think that's something that people of color experience, but this is definitely something that biracial people experience as well, that people judge you based on what you look like rather than what's really going on inside of you. Um, all right, some of the strategies to cope. So what do you do when you're in this situation? How do you cope with uh, negotiating being biracial? One of the things that people, uh, some of the guys talked about was confrontation. So I'll actually go up to people and say, hey, what are you staring at? Okay, that's kind of, I don't know how, how effective that would be. But, you know, sometimes people will be looking at you, and so you'll, you know, you feel the need to say that. Or... Um, some people will make assumptions that you're something and you'll say, no, actually, I'm biracial. And what they would find is that people would say, what, huh? What do you mean? And they'd say, well, I'm half black and half white. And, and the people would just stand there like, like, you know, and he'd say, the one guy said, it's like people couldn't even understand what I meant. People would be standing there like, what are you talking about? Like, that can't actually happen, can it? Yeah.
Yeah, right. Exactly. She was saying that she's um, Israeli, Irish, Hispanic, and people will argue with her. And that because, again, appearance is so important in our culture. If you look one way, I don't want you to mess with that because I want to think that everybody who looks like you is one way. And if you tell me that everybody that looks like you isn't, then that makes me freaked out because now I have to look at everybody and think, oh, you know, what are you? And so that's part of the, the conundrum that we're faced with and people who are multiracial are faced with, that I want to look at you, and this is part of our psychology, right? I want to look at you and pigeonhole you right away. Are you like me? Are you not like me? So that I can navigate the world. And so when you throw the monkey wrench into that, then it's like, ah, okay, what do, what do I do now with that information? And that's what, what a lot of these guys talked about, is that people were just flabbergasted sometimes, um, or especially they said older people, when older people would, would, would ask them. Okay. Um, the other thing that uh, I think was really important was that some of the, th the ways that they dealt with these kinds of racial uh, racism and those kinds of things was to let it go. Okay, they talked a lot about, you know what, I can't fight every battle, I can't deal with um, every little thing that happens, and so I just let it roll off my shoulder. I just say, you know what, I, I, it's fine, you know. Although, in some cases, it came from their family members, and I thought that was really an ugly kind of thing to have to deal with. One guy, um, his uncle would make racial comments to him, and they'd say, oh, it's all in fun, I'm just joking, you know. And he said, you know, it's my uncle, I know how he is, so I just kind of deal with it, I just kind of let it go. But to have to experience those kinds of hurtful things from your own family is really difficult, okay, really difficult to deal with. The other thing that uh, is important, and, and this also happens with um, other minority groups, is externalizing the problem. So if you come up to somebody and you... Um, you make a racist comment or, or you say something, you know, uneducated to them, what they'll do, hopefully what they will do is take what just happened and say the problem is with that person, it's not with me. And that's what's meant by externalizing the problem. So this isn't something that's wrong with me because I'm multiracial. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with me. It means that the person who just said it is you know, ignorant or trying to be mean or just whatever. And, and that's one way to not take in those kinds of negative images and, and stereotypes and things that would end up being placed on them over and over again. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. In our culture, this and both thinking, in our culture, we tend to be either or thinkers. Either you're white or you're black, either you're Mexican or you're Middle Eastern. You, you, don't, don't mess with me and tell me you're both, because that just, that just is upsetting to the system here. So what I'm suggesting is that we move from either or thinking to an and both thinking, that people can be more than one thing, and that that's okay. Right, so, so there's some people who are embrace their Mexican heritage and they also embrace their Polish heritage. And, and isn't that, can't that be okay? 
maybe for some people, but for some people it, it's difficult because I want you to be, when you're with me, I want you to be Mexican. I want you to be who, who, who I am, and I want you to be what we're about. But when you're with your Polish friend, you're doing something different, and that somehow feels exclusionary to me because I'm not fitting in with that. And that's part of the problem um, that, that we see over and over again is how can we move people to embrace both? Very difficult. Um, the last piece here in conclusion is that connections are really, really important. So connections to your heritage, connections to your cultural background. One of the things that the, that the gentleman talked about that I interviewed was that they felt disconnected from their background because their fathers weren't around. And so they really didn't have a lot of connections to the African-American community. And therefore, they were lacking in how to, the, the social norms and the mores of that community. What, how do I, what do I do? Right? How do I behave? Um, are they going to call me names? Are they going to make fun of me? Um, I remember um, one guy who said, you know, they always say I talk like a white boy, you know, the African-Americans in my school. And so that, then he kind of felt like, you know, I don't really need this. You know, I don't need this kind of abuse and harassment and so on. So I'm going to try to fit in with, with other people. And he, end, he said he ended up, most of his peers ended up being Indian. And that worked out. And when he goes to the Indian, um, the big festival down at UIC, everybody thinks he's Indian. And so it works out for him. So sometimes they have to use that chameleon-like part to navigate the social world, which the rest of us really don't have to do. You know, it's a really different experience. Um, there's definitely a variety of approaches to being biracial, so I definitely don't want to pigeonhole everybody into this, you know, again, the way that I'm describing it here. But we do see a lot of um, similarity across the multiracial groups. The, the biggest issue tends to be for the biracial African-American Caucasian, and that's because of the history in our country um, with racism and with the whole, slavery and all those kinds of things. So people have the strongest reaction to those uh, particular mixes, more so than other groups. Questions? Comments? Okay, so if you do your thumb thing again, remember that? You know a lot, you don't know much, you know nothing. Where, would you, where are you at now? Awesome. Okay. So you guys are going to, so you guys are the ambassadors. At Moraine, we actually do not have a multiracial student club. And at most, in a lot of colleges and universities, there is one. Okay, I know when my, my one son came here, he, um, he, when he asked something about multiracial, they were like, what? Uh, I don't know. What's going on? What are you talking about? So it's still something that's really new. But when you guys are continuing your education, hopefully you'll come into contact with multiracial people and you'll know what their experiences are like, what kinds of things to watch for, what kinds of things you want to not say and do, um, and just how to be more educated on the, the subject. So hi. Got time for questions and comments. Anybody have any commentary? Thoughts about 
I mean, I'm uh, 100% Middle Eastern, but, you know, just living in the States, I had many friends of many different cultures. I don't really remember myself uh, giving any attention to their races or to their racial origins. Um, actually, um, he, he's, he was born and raised in New York. Um, <laughs> I refer to him as African-American, actually. Because he has like a lot of, you know, African-American, let's say, habits or like their music, uh, his, the, the dressing, and, I mean, the clothing and everything like that. But personally, I never noticed uh, the multi-racialism term because I never actually gave it any attention. I, I just love on going with people as people, nothing really special or different. That, that's awesome. I mean, that's what we're seeing more and more in this generation that that, it, that is part of it, that they're not so concerned about race. There is more acceptance of it. But I've been looked at it before as being different, but I never looked at anybody before as being different themselves. What? Because he knows how it feels. You can say it. Because we know how it feels like to, to be different. Okay. Okay, and that's an important point. You know how it feels to be different, so you're less likely to make those kinds of judgments. Good. Yeah, great. Um, I feel like the younger generations are the ones who are more, like, more open to change and all that stuff because the older generations, this is something new. It's, like, increasing, and um, the older generations really haven't been exposed to it as much as we have. And, like, we're growing up with this, so for us it's like, oh, like, this is normal for us. But for them it's like, what? Like, there's multi, you know, because they were all, like, treated to be, like, traditional, like, oh, marry into your own race, you know, do the, continue the religion. But, like, now it's more, I feel like the younger generations are better with it because they see it more. So, like, we're op more open to it. Just, like, just same with, like, technology, like, you know, the older, just everything in general. Okay. Yeah, I agree. That That's totally true. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Um, well, I was going to ask, uh, we have a president who's multiracial, Barack Obama, um, and he he doesn't really talk about the issue of multirace. Do you think he talks about it as much as he should? Or it does kind of seem like he identifies more, and maybe we do this because we say he's the first black president. We seem to put him in the in the African-American category mm -hmm. as opposed to white, which he's, he's both. So do you think he does a good enough job speaking out about it? Or do you think he's a good example and I, I, since he's kind of the biggest uh, multiracial figure I can think of off the top mm -hmm. of my head, mm -hmm. and he's currently our president. So. Right. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Personally, do I think he speaks enough about it? No. <laughs> but, again, that's because I, I, when I look at it contextually, I mean, he, he was raised at a time where he had to make that choice. So he does talk about me. I'm the first African-American president, but I do have a white mother, and that's how he identifies. But he grew up kind of in an African-American cultural I would say, for the most part, African-American culture, from what I know. And so that's where, how he identifies, and that's where he feels comfortable. And, and that's fine. I mean, I don't want this to be about everybody who's multiracial has to embrace everything and, and be out there with it. Um, what, I'm, what I'm really saying is that it's all about choices. And if that's where he's comfortable and that's the choice he makes, that's fine. That's that's great. You know, that that's what works for him. And and people who are multiracial have to make those, that choice for themselves. Many, many multiracial people, biracial people, I should say, do choose to be 
African-American. And by that I mean embrace the cultural norms, embrace what that means um, politically and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Say it again, Julia. The context where he grew up, it's a different generation. Right. I mean, being, I'm more from his, from his generation. Mm -hmm. And people were encouraged. You know, I'm multiracial myself. Mm -hmm. So people were encouraged to pick something. And, mm -hmm. it, and it wasn't as much of an issue yeah. um, until um, kind of a cultural revolution more in the, in the 70s where people started to embrace their heritage more, where mm -hmm. Barack Obama's generation, my generation, we were more embracing being Americans and, and just kind of being absorbed into the community and fitting in. Exactly. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. I mean, um, I'm Hispanic and Irish, and I just found out, um, Yugoslavian, long story, but anyway, um, so, you know, but, but growing up, I was treated as I was white, I was pretty much, you know, people saw me as white, and so that's kind of where I went, and part of that was also my family, who wanted me to down, you know, you, you be white, because it's gonna, you know, it's better to be white, and so that's where I, you know, kind of develop my identity but that was a long time ago and now if I was maybe you know growing up now I might have a very different way to identify myself and maybe a very different way to be <laughs> but you're exactly right that the generations uh, generations ago where Barack Obama was growing up he didn't have that option it really was not an option and so the fact that he identifies African-American makes sense because that's really the only option he had at that time yeah um, and I thought it was an interesting point. This gentleman in the front row was saying, you know, his friend next to him, he identifies him as African-American. Um, and, you know, I, I just thought that was interesting because, and, what, and he said the reason because the music he listens to and the things and, and so on. But I think this generation does have a different way of looking at race. You know, I, and, and maybe, I'm, I, maybe I'm making an assumption. Are you African-American? Okay. Okay, right. So... Um, so that's really an interesting idea that maybe we don't necessarily look at what you look like, but how you behave, how you talk, what you wear, what you do, that that's part of how we identify you rather than just what you look like. Right? Yeah. People just kind of categorize yourselves, like with your friends and your peers, like, okay, well, you act this way, then, you know, okay, then you're you know you're black you act this way you're white so they're just so just assuming going on through their whole life they're like okay well now i live in a white community now i got to change my 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 stereotype as being black to white mm -hmm. so that that changes throughout time and then like now um in this millennium you know millennium stage where you students are all like being more accepting to ethnical backgrounds of all different types Right, that's true. I think there's le there's a lot more flexibility now for people. So you're not, you don't have to say, okay, I'm going to the store in the white neighborhood. Let me, you know, you know, act as white as I can. I mean, we, we don't. I don't think that we see that so much. Um, but but in the past, that was what what people had to do. I mean, I have to act as unobtrusive and as, as I can so that nobody, you know, makes any assumptions about me. So we, luckily that's changing, but not as much as we might think. I definitely, when I, when I did the research, I was shocked at 
the really overt racist kinds of experiences that these that these gentlemen had. I mean, it was it was really um, it was awful, really. Yeah. Uh, a while back about Barack Obama, there was criticism that he didn't express anger and emotion from some people. Um, and he responded in some interviews that he was afraid of the stereotype of the angry uh, black male. And so I thought that was interesting um, that, you know, he was scaling back his temper, you know, or whatever in politics uh, because of that stereotype. And perhaps it's because of the generation he grew up in, you know, perhaps. I thought that was interesting. So, yeah, yeah. being our president, you know. So. Yeah, right. I think that's a great point. If the most powerful, you know, man in the United States is is feeling like he has to scale back, what are the rest of us, you know, as we go through our day-to-day life, what do we have to do, you know, to, to make ourselves fit in, to make sure that people are comfortable? One more question. Yeah. One more question. And how would the parent, if the parent is multiracial, from a different generation, would they understand the feelings of their child? Because, you know, someone from, from Barack Obama's generation or a little bit earlier, would they have the same sympathy because, because, of, the, because of the mindset when they were children? Just blend in. Mm-hmm. Just blend <coughs> Do the best to blend in. And that was the mindset. So would right. they be as sympathetic to their children's plight? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think based on the the research that I did, no, (laughs) the parents were not really good at doing that. Um, But I think we're getting, there's books out there now, there's more research out there. Um, I have an article that's going to be published this year in the Journal of Multicultural Counseling and Development. And in it, I make recommendations for parents and for counselors and and for school systems. How do we do this better? How can we make it easier? How can we understand identity development of multiracial and biracial people and be proactive, not wait till some problem happens and then say, oh, gosh, what are we you know, going to do, but helping them to move through those stages because they are different and they do have different experiences. And I think the, the most difficult part is for white parents of non-white children um, because what happens is they they're just so floored and shocked at what what really happens when people are not white and that they really have a hard time figuring out what to do with those experiences because it's so far out of what they have experienced unfortunately um so there's more there's a lot of literature out there there is there are resources out there to help people to to know how to do this better to parent better yeah Okay, why don't we end it there. I want to thank everyone for coming today. Thank you for Amy. One uh, round of applause. And uh, keep an eye out for our next events. Thank you. Have a good, good day. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.